You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad and I'm delighted to, to introduce you to Matty Lennon and Matty is residing outside of Dublin. He's retired from, uh, he had been an inspector with Dublin Bus, but uh, Matty has been very creative in that he had put pen to paper and has written short stories and uh, essays and uh, short plays, some of which have been broadcast and some of his plays are currently uh, being staged in Ireland. Um, Matty has um, uh, retired at this stage, so uh, Matty, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks very much, Austin. Thanks for having me. So, um, a bit about yourself uh, and your what, what got you interested in putting pen to paper. Going back as far as you can, when you were at school, were you a good storyteller? Were you a good one to write down something? Like, when, 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 when they said, write an essay, were, was it something you enjoyed? Well, let's put it this way. I was better at it than I was at anything else. And uh, there were, when I was about 23 or 4, the school that I went to, there were, as any while the seven years I spent there in national school, it was the only school I ever went to anyway, there would be 50-odd pupils at any given time. When I was about 23 or 4 years of age, a myth somehow or other got created in the area that I was the smartest pupil that ever was in the school. And now I didn't do much to, anything to kill that. But I wasn't in the top ten, you know. It was, it was absolute, an absolute myth. Was I good at writing essays? Well, I was better than I was at anything else. And from the time I was very young, I'd be writing bits of doggerel about people and I'd be writing letters to the papers. I suppose at that stage it was my way of looking for attention. I don't always like to admit that now, but I know you won't tell anyone. So I continue, continued that. I didn't pursue it as much. It's only in recent years that I started getting stuff published and that sort of thing. You know, I didn't work as hard at as I should have. But, um, yeah, humorous essays. I've written a few ballads. I think I sent you one called uh, There's a Brightness Above the Wind it was, it was put to music by John Hoban I, I think I sent a recording of that to you uh, I've written a couple of plays the most recent one you mentioned there is set in an Irish police station in a Garda station in the late 60s it's a one act play and it was only put in the last 20 years until recently it was only staged by one company here in Ireland but this year the Mustrim players from Edgewstown and County Longford. This month they have it on in four counties, so I'm sort of uh, pleased with that. Well, I'll uh, send you the send you the script, and if anyone wants to stage it that side of the Atlantic, they can fire away. My recollection is the Mustrim players are one of the ones that perform very well when it comes to the All Ireland Drama Festival every year. This is this is the one act this is the one act festival that has in. I don't know how far it's going to go, but they they were going to do it a couple of years ago, but then COVID hit, so I didn't think I'd ever hear from them again. But the next thing I got a phone call and. Uh, an English publisher has it, so they have to go through the English publisher. But anyway, it seems to be going down well. The production I saw years ago was done by the in Kildare by the Kill Musical and Dramatic Society, and I was certainly very pleased with their uh, staging of it and the set. And when I say I was pleased with it, it was it was performed as I wanted it to be performed. That doesn't necessarily make it right, but um, yes, it went down well. I was pleased with it. Matty, I've always wondered you know when we talked there you said you wrote essays that the product of a poem a a ballad a story or a play 
are all very different products. Um, and the mind that you need to be in to deliver a poem as distinct from a ballad, I can see a connection there, but between a short story and to turn a short story into a script would require a different imagination, or would it? I'm not sure. I mean, I showed that this place, one act place called The Wolf by the Ears, and I showed it to an author who was himself uh, a retired policeman. He said, that'd make a short story, a better short story than a play. He's written several plays himself. So I don't honestly know, and I don't always know how someone is going to finish. I'm a member of of a Toastmasters club, and there was a fellow giving us a talk there one night just a few weeks ago, and he gave this advice, uh, write, the, write the last line first. And that can happen with a song, a ballad, uh, that can happen, you're writing towards the, the last line. Things can change along the way. One of our great writers here was Hugh Leonard, and he had this theory, he wrote a page, and he wouldn't touch it after which I think it's I think it's a mad, stubborn notion, because I could write a page tonight, and then you could say something there, you could come out with a line or something, and say, Christ, that fit that. And, you know, I'd be a terrible idiot not to use it. So it, it can change. If you, if you go too much for rhyming in, in a ballad, of course, it constricts you a bit as well, especially internal rhyming, you know. So yeah. I don't know. I don't have any answers to that. I did the odd... Mickey Mouse course and writing and all. I don't have any answers about the right way or the wrong way. And if you write something, and you, you show it to no, a number of different literary people, they'll all criticise it. But they'll all criticise a different thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know. So, Matty, then, tell us a bit about your career on the buses. Because I know... Um, well, there's been movies like there was uh, Carry On on the buses and there was On the Buses, but it's it's a very colourful, vibrant place where I know you come across colourful and interesting characters. Uh, you do know if you could go back a bit. I spent the I grew up on a small farm, and I like to jokingly say that it was so small you could bring it in when it rained and I used to say the lane up to our place in West Wicklow was so narrow the dogs had to um, wag their tails up and down you know I said there till I was 25 and I hit Dublin full time and I worked I don't have any skills or trades I worked in construction as a labourer for a couple of years and I used to socialise with busmen in a, in the suburb of Randall socialising and this context means sitting down to about 17 pints and uh, it seemed a good idea I applied for a job as a conductor I, I got that I spent oh god yes I spent four uh Six years as a conductor, and then I was driving then for another six years. Then, for some reason or other, they promoted me to inspector. Now, that's what you want me to talk about, my career on the buses. Yes, you meet colourful you meet colorful characters. All my writing wouldn't be about uh, bus workers, though. You meet characters everywhere. And you'd meet them, I'd meet them. But there are people and they seem to be going around to sleep. Nothing ever happens to them. <laughs> Um, on the way to the office, they never have a story. They don't see irony. They don't see anything. I don't know what's wrong with them. You meet interesting characters, even listening to the things people say, or uh, if something somebody uh, uh, comes up with a says something the wrong way around or something, it sort of jumps jumps out at me. I notice it, you know. And, and everyone has their fibres and their uh, differences. Yes, like the, I think the claim that there's oh. 
the whole world is in eleven people. If there's eleven people in your in your street, all human life is there, you know. And I can kind of understand that. I mean, when you guess, you guess a playwright, say like John B. Keane, use Kerry, use Kerry as uh, as a blackboard, you know. Okay, see, was inner city Dublin. The loves, the hates, all the emotions are the same in Gardner Street in Dublin as they are in Lyra Compton in Kerry. We're dealing with uh, human beings, you know, and sometimes I do a bit of storytelling as well. And sometimes there's one particular story I thought that I stole the punchline off of Shanna Cleef from Northern Ireland, but it turned out the story actually had st- had started in Texas, you know, so the, there's nothing, nothing new as far as the right way or the wrong way to do something. Um, I don't know it's and I, I'm willing to listen to criticism as well I don't always if somebody the the, the one I played the Wolf by the Ears I got a public reading in um, in Kerry in 2005 and there was a uh, uh, what would you call him um, drama mm-hmm. expert sat down with me and he took bits of it here and there maybe he wanted to justify his existence that was grand but I put them all back when I got the chance now that doesn't mean I was right and he was wrong you know Yeah, but I know it wasn't maybe Binchy said that you know she picked up an awful lot of her stuff sitting on the buses and listening to the conversations going on around her that it's a rich environment oh, so. yeah, but, yeah but very few people are strong enough to use as a character without adding in a little bit of somebody else. You know what I mean? I'd sort of do that as well. And things are here. And, yeah. yeah. So um, when, like, I presume it was after you retired that you kind of devoted a bit more time to uh, well, any writing, because uh, you've been published in the, some of the papers, the uh, Irish Independent and some uh, some of the others. Ah, yeah, yeah. No, when I was the day I was there, was retiring. It was in two thousand and eleven. I met the CEO woman in head office when I was in collecting a few bob that day, my last day. Uh, I met the CEO in the door in O'Connell Street, the head office door, and he said to me, "You'll have plenty of time to write now." I said, "I'm damned if I'm going to write." On my own time, I don't think he was impressed. I don't think he was impressed either. No, I always wrote. I didn't do enough of it. And then, as a young man, I used to. I did a bit of amateur drama, and I'm kind of sorry I didn't stick at that. No, I was when I was on the buses for the 37 years. I was working shift work, and I kind of used that as an excuse. I the things I'm doing now, I I could have been doing them probably 40 or 50 years ago. You know, so. And I don't lose any sleep over that, but nevertheless, I could have pursued the bit that I more or less can do when I'm right. I know it wasn't as easy at the time if you you had to post something and buy a stamp and all, you couldn't press a button and send something across the Atlantic. And if you had to edit something, you had to get a different page and whatever, you know, so yeah, it is easier now. Um, you mentioned something there before we started chatting here, and that was your... Um, is it? Are you doing a piece or creating a piece around workaholism? No, I was going to. Yes, I, I did a Toastmaster speech on workaholism, <clears throat> and but when I first read it, and the question it's like any twelve-step program. There's a, a series of questions: Are you an alcoholic? Are you a workaholic? There's twenty questions, and you know what it said. I can't remember the exact figures. If you answer yes to six, you have workaholic tendencies. If you answer, answer yes to ten, you certainly are. Or you answer, answer yes to eighteen. Now, workaholics, of course, can be can be lazy as well. I don't know what you were going to ask me about workaholics, but uh, 
No, I, I would think that it's, if, if there's 20 questions like that, I could see a potential employer shoving it under the, your nose at an interview. And if you answered eight, 18 to yes, you're hired. Uh, that's right. But it, it has to know that work, workaholics can, <laughs> can be lazy as well. Or you might be applying your, 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 your disease, for want of a better word, to things that he didn't want done in the first place, you know. Right. Yes. right. right. So... Um, when now, where would you see yourself at this stage in your life when it comes to your writing? Um, are you? I know you have a busy life in in every respect, and you're taking care of your wife. But do you set yourself a goal in any way, either an annual goal, a weekly goal, a monthly goal, to say, you know, this year now, what I'm try and do is maybe write twelve essays or something like that. No, I'd, I'd sort of put that much together anyway. No, I don't, and I'm not very prolific. You were saying you weren't a journalist. Uh, I'm not a journalist either. I wouldn't like to have a deadline. I wouldn't like to be told, no, you'd have to have two pieces of 800 words for for every week, you know. So I just have to kind of uh, let it flow. I write, there's a, a website there, pencilstubs.com. It's <clears throat> published in America. It's an online magazine. And um, I do a thing, a monthly thing on that for, for, um, called Irish Eyes. So if you were to go to com and bring up Irish Eyes for, let's say, November, and you went to the byline Matty Lennon, you could read anything you've written for them, I think it's since 2002, I think in more than 20 years, right? Now, sometimes there could be local bits. Sometimes there could be maybe plagiarised bits, which I'd always, well, they're not plagiarised in the sense that I'd always, I'd always credited them. They could be about anything and everything. And then maybe I'd come up with a side, decide that I would research something and um, I'd, I'd find out as much as I could about that and I'd write about that and I'd give it a bit of a humorous twist. And then I'd forget all about it. So, Matty, yeah, Matty, there used to be, I think, years ago, and you mentioned Shanna Keys, there used to be storytellers going around. Yeah, I and do I, a, little bit, a little bit of that, yes. Is that I might still, is, one actually called Take the Soap, did I? No, I don't think. But is that still going on? Because I know there's singing circles all over the country. There is, I, it, is, I, it is still going on, yeah, particularly in Kerry. Uh, and uh, Northern Ireland as well, around South Armagh, you know, and Donegal. Yes, there are still storytellers. And do they gather at regular intervals? Like I know in Ottawa, there's uh, there's a storytellers group, and there's a storytellers festival uh, once a year. But uh, do is is the storytelling genre um, active and like it is? Oh, it is indeed. Yeah, there was a story a storytelling uh, festival in the Stoll uh, there in September. It's one of the things I go to, like you talk about literary figures in your life. I've met, I've been going to list all writers week now for nearly 30 years. So nearly every literary figure in the world, I think, I've met at that length of time. You right. know, oh, there is storytelling. Yeah, I can send you some stuff from that. I can send you bits that I uh, did as well. I'm sure I sent you that one. Maybe yeah, not. No, no, what I mean is like, for example, I know my brother-in-law goes around to sing in circles and there's singing circles over in uh, every down particular well they're all over the country but um, they're going on every night of the week somewhere or other in that context are there um, are, are the storytellers part of and I'm, my, I'm rambling myself at this stage because I know at the singing circle at times you'll get someone that'll get up and they'll tell a story 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you get you get nights, oh, rambling houses, sort of called that. Being Kerry as well, like and well, well organized. Yeah, right. And oh, yeah, and it's it has an international following. Like you know, an Irish storyteller could be going to America, going to Canada, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And in Dublin, then is this more a rural scene, or would you get? Anything like that going on in Dublin? Are there any pubs that would be synonymous with? Um, uh, yes, there would. There be Shano singing uh, in in Dublin. Yes, yes, and you would get a bit of storytelling with that as well. But you get pure sort of Shano's uh, sessions. Right, right. So, um, uh, one of the thing reasons I wanted to connect with you was because you have sent me on the the work in the hut, and you said that's based in a a guard station. And I no, that isn't. That isn't. No, that, oh, is, that one is. Sorry, my apologies. Go on. The, the play is in a garden station. That is in the security hood of Hawkins House, which was the multi-story building, which was the headquarters of the Irish Health Board. And that would be based on fact. I used to snake in there when I should be standing on the street and control from there. And a lot of that is true. As I said, I don't have a great imagination, so you can decide to support yourself which is true or which isn't, but a lot of my stuff is really based on fact, because if you were to tell me to come up with something like that, uh, fictitious, I probably wouldn't be able to. Well, I plan on sharing that with the listeners sometime over, probably between Christmas and New Year, uh, as a little bit of uh, diversion. Uh, and, yeah, uh, well, I can, I can send you other ones as well. Um uh, and, and I, I would have done a few on Zoom, so and I could say, I mean, you, you just use the audio of them. But yes, I can say, I told you, shouldn't they give me your email address? Now, if anyone <laughs> wants, con- you, you can give out my email address there yourself as well. If anyone wants to contact me, uh, will do, will do. Maddie, we're going to wrap up here, and what we'll do is that piece of music, that ballad, uh, we'll share it, and. Um, that nothing as good as when you have something and you have it recorded and someone sang it, rather than talking about it, we'll play it. Good man. Yeah, and men, don't forget to mention the man the singing and the man John Hoban, he's uh, he's from Castle Bar. He he's got he he's been all over the world. He describes how he describes it himself, he says I've lived all over the world and a few other places. But he's he's a very prolific songwriter himself. So this is John Hoban. Thanks to the million man. Thank you very much. As a child, I remember small farmers being depressed at some times of the year. The climatic conditions uncertain turn hopes of their harvest to fear. Whenever they cursed the bad weather and the elements failed to sin, my father with wisdom would tell them there's a brightness at the foot of the wind When teenage ambitions got twisted My identity crisis would loom Rejection and fantasy mingle Resulting in pictures of doom Then the power of good to the rescue To counter each negative trend My thoughts would somehow be diverted that brightness at the bottom of the wind When the weather of life it looks hopeless And our clouds with disaster seem twinned Remember that God will send sunshine There's a brightness at the bottom of the wind
storms of anguish are beating And I'm lashed by the gales of defeat When the forecast of life holds no promise It's still not the time to retreat A fresh glow clears in my vision Like a night sky by bright stars queen. Then I know that I haven't forgotten The brightness that the butter of the wind Last when I'll see the horizon That mist self-deception has cleared I'll ponder the journey before me And confront all the things that I feared Expecting a turbulent crossing As the clarity point out that I've sinned But no salvation is certain By the brightness of the of the wind when the weather of a life it seems hopeless Dark clouds of disaster seem to end Remember that God's will sun sunshine There's a brightness, the butter of the wind